There we go. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right, it's good. That fits in with the cell phone theme, which is good. So anyway, we took my mother out for Mother's Day about a week ago from Saturday, and we were sitting in this restaurant, and out in front of me, there were two guys that were sitting in the table, and I kid you not, the entire time they sat there, like two friends out there, and they just sat there on their phone the entire time. And it was just kind of amazing to me, like, hey, you have a friend right in front of you. You know, if you were to just move the phone away and, and look, you could have a real conversation, right? But I think a lot of people like to use social media and their smartphones because it allows them to kind of make other people think that, uh, that they are a person that they're not. They can put out all the, like, their strengths and, and avoid their weaknesses and it, and put out this image of who they want other people to perceive them as. And some people really try hard to get other people to like their statuses and to um, follow them on, is it Instagram? I don't know. I don't use Instagram. But they follow you on Instagram and, and on Twitter and all these other things. And they, they try to make you out to, like, they try to make themselves out to be this really awesome person that everyone else should pay attention to, Right? The thing is, though, that this is not a new phenomenon. Cell phones and social media are just a new way for people to carry out their narcissism. Really, this has existed for thousands of years. And today, we're going to look at a character in a very well-known story of the Bible who wanted all the attention to be on himself. So I would like to invite you to, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Now, we're going to cover the entire chapter of Luke 15. So I want to encourage you to actually open your Bibles because I'm not going to have everything on the screen. Um, and we're just going to reference it back and forth because we need to look at the context. So as you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, I'm going to pray for this morning's message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for your love for us, Lord, and that we have your word that can teach us how we are to love each other and how we are to have relationships with other people. Today, Lord, as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts as well and that we would have the ability to hear what you have to say for us and that we would apply it to our lives. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So in this passage, it starts off talking about how Jesus is in this crowd of people. And there are all, there's a huge diversity of people. And one of the groups of people are the Pharisees. And they're sitting there amongst themselves, and they're like, these sinners are here. Can you believe it? Why does Jesus hang out with these people? Does he not know that rabbis and teachers should be hanging out with the good people like us, not these, these sinners? But Jesus hears their muttering, and he hears them talking amongst, amongst themselves. And in response, he goes into three stories. And it starts off in verse 3, where Jesus starts his first story with this parable of the lost sheep. And he says, There is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders off. And so he leaves the 99 sheep. And whenever I heard this story when I was a kid, I, I always thought this was kind of weird. 
Like, you've got 99 sheep here. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to find the one sheep, and then I'm going to come back, and my 99 sheep have wandered away and are now eaten. Like, that always seems really, really funny to me. But in order to understand that story, you've got to understand how shepherds functioned in that time. It wasn't like one shepherd was going around with his flocks and they would, they would stay separated. All the shepherds would kind of work together and they each had their own individual flocks, but the flocks would be intermingled with each other and they would kind of hang out. So what probably happened was the shepherd was like, hey, you guys, I think one of my sheep's missing. I can't find it. Do you guys mind looking over my sheep while I go find this lost one, right? And it's something kind of similar happened on actual Mother's Day. You see a couple of guys, which was Trevor, Brandon, and I, we were talking after service and we were like, so what you guys got planned for Mother's Day? And we're all looking at each other and we're like, nothing. What do you got planned? We're like, nothing. So we're like, let's figure something out. So here's what we came up with. We decided to get all our kids together, the three of us, and come over to my place. And we were going to hang out and grill food and make dinner and let the, our wives go have a few hours off of being a mother. And they could just go have woman time, I guess. And so, and it worked really well. They, they enjoyed it. But during that time, while I'm manning the grill, I'm holding Jackson in one hand, and I'm, you know, flipping burgers, and I can tell that something is amiss. So I look at Brandon and Trevor, and I'm like, hey, you guys, I need to go Jackson, change Jackson's diaper. Would you guys mind just watching over Luke for a minute? You know, so then I went, and I, I so I didn't leave Luke all alone. I left him in the the very capable care of those two guys why they watch uh, watch Luke so I can go take care of my son. So that's kind of what's happening with this shepherd. He leaves the 99 sheep and he goes and finds the other sheep. And in Jesus' story, he finds the sheep. And I want you to notice, where does Je- the, the shepherd, where does he take the sheep to? It, notice it doesn't say that he takes it back to the flock. He takes the sheep home. The sheep are out in the open country, but the shepherd takes the sheep home. And he has this huge celebration where he goes and he gets his neighbors and his family members, and he's like, check this out. This sheep wandered away, and I found it, and he's still alive. And he's, he's parting, and he's happy that this sheep is still alive because this sheep is precious to him. And Jesus caps off the story in verse 7. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus then goes into his second story in Luke chapter 15, which is called the parable of the lost coin. He says, a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Now, in our culture, coins are not really worth much. In fact, on Saturday, I ran out of hair gel. And so I, I went to Walmart, but I didn't have my wallet on me. I left it in my office. So I brought a $5 bill. And I rarely, if ever, carry mo- like actual money. I'm always using the credit card. But on this one occasion, I had a $5 bill. And my, my hair gel came out to like $2.10. And so I had some coins in my pocket. And as I'm walking back to my car, I pull the keys out of my pocket and a coin falls on the floor, right? And I look down and I see it's a dime, but this was my reaction. I pull the thing out, dime, eh, whatever. 
That was kind of my reaction. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm not even going to bother to stop and pick up this dime because I was kind of in a hurry. I had somewhere to get. So coins are like, you know, my attitude for that coin was not very good. But this lady, when she loses a coin, is like, oh, no, this is not cool. And we learn that through studying their culture that a silver coin was worth about a, a day's wages. So for most people in there, it would probably be about $60 in today's time. So this was, you know, a pretty significant amount to this woman, much more than my dime was. And so we see that this woman is like, i got to find this coin. So she cleans her entire house. You ever do that? You're like, I can't find the kids. I guess it's time to, time to clean the house. I've never done that with my kids, but I have like, I can't find my shoe, so I'm going to clean the house. And it, it usually turns up that way. But that's what the woman does. It says she cleans her entire house until she finds the coin. And then she too runs out on the street and she gets all her neighbors together and her family members. And she said, like, check this out. I found the coin that I lost. Isn't that amazing? Right? We had a, um, I was on Facebook the other day and a friend of mine posted that he had found a $20 bill in his jacket pocket. And so that's kind of that idea, that, that celebration of like, he was so excited, he posted on Facebook about it. <laughs> so Jesus as well caps off the same story by saying, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus goes into his third story in Luke chapter 15. And this is the one that we have been studying over the past couple weeks. It's the story of the lost son. Let me recap it for a minute. There is a father with two sons. And his younger son comes up to him and says, Dad, I want you to give me my inheritance. Which was kind of slap in the face to the father because he's basically saying, Dad, you're better off dead to me than alive. Just give me the money that, that I'm going to get when you die and I'm I'm going to run off, and I'm just going to go experience life. So the father agrees to this. He gives him the money. The son runs off to Las Vegas, and he spends all the money on trying to experience what the world has to offer for him. But after an amount of time, his money runs out, and he has no way to pay for food. So he goes and he works on a pig farm. And he's trying to feed these pigs, and he's just miserable. And he finally hits rock bottom, and he says, Man, what have I done? Like, I was so foolish. He has an awakening. And then he's honest on how he got there. He said, My poor choices, my sin has gotten me here. And then he takes action and gets up, and he returns to the Father. And as he's walking back, to the Father. He's expecting to be rejected by the Father. He's expecting to be shamed by his family and by his culture. And so he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his Father. But the Bible says that as he is still a long way off, the Father sees him and just gets up and just runs as fast as he can after his Son and just embraces him and shows the Son a grace that he was completely not expecting. And he throws this huge celebration for the son. He tells his servants, go kill the fatted calf. Get my good robe and my ring. Stick it on my boy because he's home. And we need to celebrate that. Over the past couple of weeks, um, we've been doing life groups that have accompanied the sermons. And you've been watching a video series 
that tells the story of people that, that parallel this story. And there's this one girl whose name is Angela. And she's working hard at her father's diner to raise enough money to go to med school. But she's sick of how slow it's taking to earn the money. So she decides to leave the father's diner and go and find a faster means to pay for college. Well, in a similar fashion, it totally doesn't work out. And she ends up on drugs and addicted to things and just in a not good place. And she even steals what used to be her mother's ring. It's something that's very precious to her dad, and she sells that for for drug money. And she just feels super guilty and like her father's going to reject her. And when when she likewise hits rock bottom, she decides to go back to the father and, and beg for her job back. And when she does, the father not only gives her her job back, but he throws her a party. And I want you guys, we're going to show you a clip from the last episode of when the father throws the party. And while you're watching this clip, I want you to take note of her older sister, whose name is Carmen. Notice how she reacts to the father's celebration of his younger daughter. Welcome home, Angelita! So as you saw from the clip, not everyone was super excited that Angela had come home. And in a similar way in our story from the Bible, not everyone is happy that this younger son has come home. Read along with me, starting in verse 25, to see what the older brother had to say. It said, Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? The servant replied, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So we see here that the son is angered by the fact that the father has welcomed the son back and is now celebrating him. And I think it's important that we understand how the son is feeling. So I want, I'm going to show another clip. I know I'm giving that screen a total workout today, but that's cool. So I, I want you to imagine for a second that you work in a warehouse. And you've been working there for about a year. You've been a faithful employee. And about a year after you've been working there, this happens. The same exact thing happens. (laughs) The sun is stuck in a loop of time. 
it's not on there anymore? Okay, fine. That's cool. <laughs> I had another awesome video of things getting destroyed, but it didn't work. That's okay. So in the, in the video clip, I'll, expl- I'll just try to talk you through it. It's not nearly as cool, but that's fine. So you're working at this warehouse, and a new guy gets hired, and they start him off um, unloading pallets off of a semi-truck. And as he's doing that, he, like, doesn't realize that there's not a good ramp off the end of the semi-truck, and he accidentally lets it go, and it totally crashes, and all the stuff on the pallet gets destroyed. And so the next day, your boss is like, well, this guy's not very good at running pallets, so let's try to see if he can run a forklift. And so they train him on a forklift, and after about five minutes, he crashes into a... um, like shelf containing a bunch of stuff and literally brings the entire warehouse down. And it was really funny, but you won't know because you'll never see it. Ha ha ha. Okay. So, and then the neck, you come in later on that week and you find out there's, the, there's a bunch of, there's a cake and there's balloons and there's people celebrating and you're like, what's going on? And you, you start talking to someone and they're like, yeah, the new guy's been promoted to foreman and he's now your boss. Like, how would that make you feel if at your job somebody that's, like, completely incompetent gets promoted over you? That's kind of how the son feels here. Like, he has been sitting here doing his best to obey the Father, and yet this son who runs off and literally wrecks everything is now getting a party? The Father seems so unjust here. And I think that the, the older brother, it totally seems like it's making sense, like what he's talking about, except for there's one fundamental belief that the son has that is completely wrong and that's driving his attitudes and actions. And this fundamental belief is this, that God gives value to people based on what they do. That that's how God attributes value to people. And we see that this manifests itself in this story in two ways. First, the son has a belief that the father should celebrate and praise him for his good choices. Look with me in verses 28 through 29. He says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, All these years, I've been slaving for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never once even gave me a small goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. So the son's reaction shows that he's placing his trust in what he has done. And he feels that the father should reward him for that by celebrating his actions. He's saying, I'm working all this hard, doing all this hard work, obeying you, and I'm not getting my proper return on investment. And you're not in celebrating me. And his good works has given him this attitude of superiority where he thinks he is more worthy of love and acceptance and his father's resources than his younger brother. I think the words of the father in response are telling. Look at verse 31. He says, My son, you are always with me, that everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. 
Notice the father doesn't say, you're right, son. I should celebrate you. I'll throw you a party next Saturday and you can invite all your buddies. He doesn't say that at all. And he doesn't show gratitude for all the work that the older son has done. Instead, he says, look, you're focusing so hard and doing all this work to earn what you already have. And you're completely ignoring what's really important, a relationship with me. We see secondly that this is manifested in the older brother's attitude, this idea that people earn their value based on what they do. And that the older son believes that the father should no longer love and accept the younger son because of his poor choices. Look at verse 30. The older son says, But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. See, the older son is mad, and he feels that he has the right to judge his younger brother. He thinks that the father is wrong for welcoming the younger brother home and should definitely not be celebrating the younger son because of the poor choices that the son has made. The attitude, though, of the older brother shows that he has completely misunderstood the value that the older or that the, the father places on the younger son, despite the choices he has made. And the irony here is that it's the younger son, though, who has done what the father really wants. And that's to recognize his need for the father. The younger son tried to do life on his own, and he crashed and burned. Yet he came back to the father after all that, because he realized that the father was the best source of life. And the truth is, the older son has still not had his aha moment and to recognize that all he has is the father's. But this passage clearly shows us what God truly desires. It's in verse 7, verse 10, verse 18 and 21. The same concept. And what matters most to God is repentance. And that's really what this idea of aha is all about. Repentance is awakening honesty and action. Repentance is when we wake up and we realize that we are not experiencing true life. And we're honest about how we got there. We realize that it is our sin that has separated us from God and have, have brought us the pain and the sorrow that we're experiencing in life. And it's when we take action to say, I don't want this anymore. I'm going to return to God. It's those three elements that are all a part of repentance. And that's really what the Father celebrates here in this passage. In other words, God isn't looking for the people that have everything figured out and who think that they have done nothing wrong. God is looking for the ones who realize that they haven't done everything wrong and they repent of that and they're willing to allow him to give them new life. The older son in this story represents the Pharisees that Jesus is sharing these stories with. They think that they're the only ones that matter to God because they're the professionally religious. And they think that they've made better choices than these quote-unquote sinners. 
And Jesus is responding to their complaints by telling them that these people who are all around you, who you are rejecting, they matter to God. And if you really understood what brings God joy, which is when sinners repent, if you really understood that, you would repent and you would rejoice with God. The whole point of these three stories is to show the Pharisees that the Father celebrates the repentance and salvation of those sinners. He's explaining to the Pharisees, the reason that I spend time with these people is so that they can have a chance to repent and to turn back to my Father so that my Father will rejoice with them. I want to take a moment right now to kind of put this idea of why trying to earn our salvation, which is what the Pharisees and what the older brother was trying to do, why that doesn't work, and show why repentance received, receiving grace is far better. We've, we've basically talked about all these things, but I want to wrap them up together because I think it, it really helps us to see why trying to earn God's approval is foolishness. And I want to give you five reasons why I think trying to earn our salvation doesn't really make sense and why grace is better. The first is that when we try to earn God's favor through doing good works, we're trying to hide the core issue. What happens is we, all of us, the Bible says we all have sinned in our lives. We all have sinned and fall short of the, the glory of God. So we have these bad things in our life. And the Bible says that the result of that is our death. And this is not a best out of seven game series. This is a one and done, you lose and you're out and there's no amount of air you can let out of the footballs to cheat your way in. It just doesn't work that way. The Bible says if you sin once, you deserve eternal separation from God. But trying to earn your way to God by good works fools you into thinking that you can cover that up with good deeds. But the truth is the only one who's blinded to the sin and then the only one who's fooled to it is you. God sees right through that. The better way, Bob, is this chart in the PowerPoint at all? There you go. All right. The better way is grace. Because grace and repentance recognizes that we are sinful at our core and there is nothing we can do about it. It allows God to come and be our Savior by having Jesus die on the cross in our place which takes care of the root problem. It pays the penalty for our sin that we owe. Secondly, works don't work because it's us trying to manipulate God. We feel that if we can just be good enough, God has to let us into heaven because we're good people. And we have this expectation in life right now that God owes us good things here in life. I mean, whoever heard somebody saying, I don't understand why these bad things are happening to me. I'm a good person, right? One of, the, one of the big issues that some people have with the idea of God is, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, the truth is, it's because God doesn't work that way. He doesn't just give good things to good people and just bad things to bad people. Good and bad things fall on both, and that's just how the world works. But people feel like they get mad at God because they expect God to bless them because they've made good choices. But when we come to God through repentance and faith, 
we realize that we don't deserve any good thing. We only deserve punishment, yet God gives us mercy and grace. And so that, that draws us closer to God. Thirdly, when we're trying to earn our salvation and we make a mistake, we feel shame and guilt. And so to alleviate that guilt, we just compare ourselves with other people. And we say, yeah, I made a mistake, but look at that person. They're much worse than me. And we use that to make ourselves feel better. But by grace, we realize that everyone needs grace. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're all on the same exact plane. Fourthly, when we try to earn our salvation through works, we're spending our whole life trying to earn God's favor so that when we die, we get to go to heaven and be with God. It's the end goal. But with grace, it's already true of us. We've already been given salvation. And now we can live it out as our lifestyle. And finally, when we are trying to earn God's favor through works, we get the glory because we did all the work. And God, we want God to celebrate us. And when grace and repentance is how we receive salvation, God gets the glory because he's the one that did, that did all the work. And we see all of these taking place in the way that the Son was trying hard to earn God's favor. He was trying to cover up his mistakes, and so were the Pharisees um, by being good. They were trying to manipulate God, and they felt like, Jesus, if, if you're really the Messiah who all these people claim you are, you should be hanging out with those good people because we're the ones that God should honor, not these, these sinners. The Pharisees were obviously comparing themselves with other people, just like the older brother was comparing himself to the younger brother. The Pharisees and the older brother were working hard to earn the approval when they, when they die. And the Pharisees wanted the glory. They wanted to be celebrated, just like the older brother. But none of those three things work. So I hope we can see clearly that grace is a much better way to earn God's favor than works. Now there's one question that remains, though. Is there any point in being good? Why, why do we do that? In order to explain that, I want to bring out maybe one of the coolest things that I own. This ginormous beanbag. Yeah. Right, there we go. I want you to imagine for a second that this beanbag is all the sin in the world. And, like, I was going to get a bunch more stuff, but then I thought that's a lot of work, and that was heavy enough to carry it out there. So this idea of this is all the sin of the world, and when we awaken to the fact that this sin doesn't work, we're honest about the fact that we—and we start to realize that, you know what? Every time I sin, I'm contributing to this pile of mess— and brokenness of the world. This, this pile, this sin is causing a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in people's lives and in my lives. Every time I lie, it hurts someone. Every lustful thought, it hurts someone. Every time I compare myself and try to make myself look better than other people, it hurts someone. And when we awaken and we realize that we're doing that, and we repent and we turn to God and we say, God, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to add to this pile anymore. God gives us a new life, and he frees us from this need to always try to, to sin 
to please ourselves. He gives us himself so that we can have a relationship with him and get our fulfillment from him, not through our sin. And here's the thing that I think is beautiful, is that God now gives us an opportunity to be his agents in this world, helping him to take care of this problem. He doesn't allow us to to do good things to erase our own sin. Jesus took care of that. But we can help God to take care of the problem of the world by helping other people realize and have their aha moments. He gives us the opportunity to point people to Christ and help them to not be digging at this anymore. And that's why we want to continue living out and, and following God in righteousness. Because now that we, we've been freed from this pile of sin and this bondage, we now get the amazing privilege of allowing God to use us to help other people to turn away from their sin and experiencing God. And that's where our lives really get an amazing meaning and purpose to it. And that's how God wants us to live. And now some of you are thinking, that's, that's kind of hard to do. Like, why, I don't like, like going out and talking to people. But here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to be a professional to, to do these things. Helping people to turn from their sin is really all about sharing the story of how God helped you to turn from your sin. And we at Freedom's Church are full of people with amazing stories of how they have turned from their sin and are now experiencing the new life in Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, we're going to take this morning's offering. And during this morning's offering, we're going to play the, the second half of the cardboard testimony videos that we made um, a couple weeks ago. So as we're taking this morning's offering, I'd like to invite you to uh, turn your eyes to the screen. But in the meantime, I'm going to pray to end this message and for the morning's offering. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we no longer have to earn your salvation, that we no longer have to win your approval, or that we have to get our value based on what we do. But Lord, that you love us simply because we are your children and that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so that we have the ability to repent of our sins and to turn to you. And now, Lord, you allow us to help other people to turn to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your children to choose to tell our stories and show how you have worked in our lives and that other people would turn to you through that as well. Amen.